did good. We did good. Yeah. Well, I'm glad to be here with you this morning. Uh, my name is Troy Hawks. I'm one of the pastors uh, on staff here at North Bible Church. I started out actually as an intern here when I was doing seminary at Phoenix Seminary, and uh, Larry said, we'd love to have you stick around, um, but in order for you to do that, you're going to have to be okay with us shipping you off to remote villages um, in Central America and other parts of the world. Um, and I said, hey, that's great. Just uh, make sure you send people with me because I might not come back. Um, love Guatemala, love uh, Central America, Latin America. That's my heart. And um, this is a shameless plug uh, for the fact that we're getting ready to lead a team down there in November. And uh, we're going to be going down there, my wife and I. Um, actually, my daughter would be upset if I didn't mention that she was going as well. Um, we're going to be leading another team down there to drill a well with Living Water International. Um, and, and we have another trip coming up in March. So if that's something that you've been thinking about doing, uh, just consider this trip coming up in March. We're going to be signing up um, in the next couple of months. So pray about that. See if, the Lord, see if that's something the Lord is leading you uh, to do. Uh, and that's just part of what I do here at North Bible Church as um, the pastor of missions and outreach. Um, and, you know, I find not only in ministry but in life in general um, that uh, relationships, I'm probably alone on this, but, but relationships are, are complicated, right? The relationships can be a little bit tricky, now, where am I coming from? I'm, I'm coming from a, a guy who's been married for 20 years uh, to someone who shows me Jesus every day, um, but, and I do my best to show Jesus every day, but we're still human, right? Um, and we're still 20 years together. Uh, we're raising four kids, four beautiful kids. We have two kids in high school, one in middle school, and one trying to get his way out of elementary school. If, if you ever wondered why you needed to pray for your pastors? I just gave you um, the reasons for that. Um, pray for your pastors. Um, work relationships are complicated. Personal relationships are complicated. Uh, I've got outlaws and in-laws in my life, blessed by all of them, but it's, it's complicated. Relationships are tricky. Uh, and you probably notice the same thing. Uh, whether you're single or married, uh, whether you are an employee or the employer, whether you're the parent or the child, the teacher or the student, relationships are complicated. If, if you ever get out of bed in the morning, you know that relationships uh, are complicated. I, I, as I was thinking about this, I decided, here's a, here's a good gauge for how complicated relationships are. So I, I went on Amazon.com, and, and I searched for books on marriage. How many books do you think there are about marriage and navigating marriage on Amazon.com? Uh, 62,000. 62,000 books about marriage, uh, because marriage is complicated. Uh, how many books do you think there are on Amazon.com about parenting? 60,000 plus books on Amazon about parenting uh, because parenting is complicated because relationships are complicated and relationships involve people. Life 
is relational. Even being in here together is relational. God is relational. We are relational beings. And the body of Christ is relational. The story of the gospel, in essence, is about a relational God who redeemed for himself a relational people and who seeks to redeem their relationships. It's relational. And the gospel, uh, who you are in Christ, who I am in Christ, has a lot to say about who I am and who we are together, how we are together. Today we're going to look at a passage written not by those authors on Amazon.com, but um, by the Apostle Paul. And he didn't write 62,000 books, but he did write 13 that we have, um, 13 letters that he wrote. For what purpose? Uh, to, to teach and to instruct people about the deep implications that the gospel has for their daily lives. And the deep implication that the gospel has for those relationships that they find themselves in, in their daily lives. And so today we're going to take a look at a passage in Galatians chapter 5. Um, it's, a, it's a passage that would become one of the best known, one of the most well-known passages in Scripture. I guess you could say it's one of the best sellers. And on the one hand, in this passage, uh, Paul's going to paint a picture of a life, a life that rolls into relationships, uh, but this life that's been untouched by the implications of the gospel. He would call this a life that walks by the flesh, right? A life that's guided just simply by its own passions and its own understanding. And he's going to hold that life up on the one hand and, and how it outflows into relationships. And on the other hand, he's going to hold up uh, another life, a life that's led, what he would call led by the Spirit or walking by the Spirit. It's, it's a life that asks, what does this mean? A life that looks at the gospel and its implications and asks, what does this mean for me? What does this mean about who I am supposed to be and how I am supposed to be? in my relationships with others. And he holds them both up. And he essentially asks, so which one are you living? Which one of these lives best represents the life that you're living right now? Would you pray with me as we go ahead and jump into this passage this morning? Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it's useful that it's beneficial. It's useful for teaching us, for sowing truth into our hearts. It's, it's helpful for correcting us, for encouraging us, for building us up. And we pray, Lord, that you would use your word this morning, that you would use your Holy Spirit nudging us, whispering us, to teach us this morning. Lord, we invite your spirit to lead and to guide and to direct. Uh, at this time, we, we open our ears, we open our hearts, and we say, yes, Lord, speak. We ask it all in Christ's precious name. 
Amen. So we get two pictures from the Apostle Paul, a picture of two lives. Uh, and the first is in Galatians chapter 5, verses 19 through 21. Paul writes, Now the works of the flesh are evident. In other words, the works that are brought out by a life that's led by the flesh, that's just simply directed by my own nature, by my sinful nature, the sinful person that I am. Uh, the works of the flesh are evident. They are sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warned you, I warn you now as I warned you before that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Now, look through a variety of commentaries and you'll find different analysis on, on these words and these lists and why Paul lists what he does. Um, but when I see this passage and I look at it in the context of the book of Galatians, I believe that Paul designs this list in a very particular way. Um, it's a list that's bookended. In other words, on one end, on the beginning end, and on the other end are, are concepts, are ideas that he believes that they will accept willingly and that everyone will be nodding their head about. Can we put the verses um, back up there real quick? Uh, and then what he does is he takes that opportunity, right? It's like a, it's like a truth sandwich. So he's got, he's got some ideas at the beginning and the end that everybody's going to go, oh yeah, oh yeah, that's the works of the flesh right there. You know, those aren't the things that please God. And, and then he puts the meat right in the middle. And, he, and this is the relational stuff, right? This is the stuff that they're not seeing in their lives. This, this is the stuff, they're, they're all thinking about the holiness, right? And oh yeah, we walked away from sexual immorality and we, and we walked away from those drunken parties that we were a part of. And, and Paul's saying, but look, Look at the meat in the middle. Look at the relational stuff that you're ignoring, right? The works of the flesh. And, and there they are. Uh, they start right after sorcery, right? They, oh, yeah, we've given up sorcery. And, and Paul says, well, what about enmity, right? What about strife? W what about jealousy? What about fits of anger? What, what about your temper? What about rivalries, right? What about that competitive feeling that you're always feeling of wanting to be the guy on top, the one that's getting ahead and pushing others down? What about dissensions and divisions? What about, what about envy? It's the meat in the middle that Paul's after here. The things that they aren't seeing about what's, how it's affecting their relationships, how it's affecting the church, how it's affecting their community. And so he holds that up on the one hand and says, look, this is a life that's been not touched yet by the truth and the deep implications of the gospel because in all these things, you're still focused on yourself. And then he opens, he holds up the next list, a list that he calls the fruit of the Spirit, a life that's been touched by the deep implications of the gospel, the life that asks, okay, what does this mean for me? And he says in Galatians 5, verse 22, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. 
And this fruit of the Spirit is deeply relational as well. It has implications for how we live and relate with one another. Love, joy, peace, patience, gentleness, goodness, kindness, self-control. As I was looking at the two lists that Paul holds up in this passage, I was reminded, um, starkly reminded, of a, of a very vivid time in my life, and, and that was about 15 or 16 years ago. If I'd have to consider my age, which I don't like to do in order to do the math to figure out exactly how many years ago that was, but it was B.C., it was before children, um, and it was uh, when I attended my first Bible study as an adult, right? I don't count Sunday school where they ship me off during the adult service, you know, and I learned about David and Goliath, and I learned about, you know, I knew all these stories and everything, but, but the very first Bible study that I went to, I'm, I'm, I still remember I'm sitting around this table, and I'm looking at these other men that I'd never met before, and I'm just, I'm just taken aback by the fact, by two things. Um, first of all, that they are digging into Scripture to see what it says about their life and about how they should live as men of God. And, and secondly, I was taken aback by the fact that that stuff is in the Bible. I, I had no idea that, that the gospel had such deep implications for how I live every day and how I represent Christ to people, what, what kind of fruit the gospel should be bearing in my heart and in my life. And it was at that moment that I felt like I was looking in a mirror. Um, God, as gentle as he was, was like holding up this mirror. And I think it was a nice one, right? It was like they would have at the makeup counter in the mall, you know? It wasn't all like jagged and wicked looking, like, look at yourself. No. It was, it was just, look. Look in the mirror. And for me, it was a, it was a put-up-or-shut-up moment. You know, I, I called myself a Christian my entire life, considered myself a Christian my entire life, and now a passage like this was going, really? Are, really? And it was at that point that I just said, Lord, okay, wow, this is, this is real, right? Because I'd been living the first list my entire life, right? Focused on me wasn't really concerned how, how I was in relationships, how that affected other people, um, because I was in the relationship for me, so why would I think about anyone else? And then I start to look at passages like this, and I think, okay, it's more than Sunday morning. It, it, this is about a life. This is about Jesus coming into a life and doing a heart transformation, a heart overhaul. And so we're going to spend the next several weeks um, in this passage. Um, we're beginning a new series called Words Matter. And uh, what we're going to do is we're going to spend the next, I think it's nine weeks, and we're going to go through the fruit of the Spirit. And, and each week we're going to look at a different fruit of the Spirit so that we can look and we can say, okay, what is the deep implication for my life? Am I seeing this fruit in my life? What is this fruit, right? Because words matter. If, if you're thinking, I need more joy in my life, okay, define joy, right? Are you pursuing the right thing? Are you cultivating the right thing? I don't know. 
And so that's what we're going to do today, and we're going to start with the word love. It's up a lot of different ideas, doesn't it? And I think that video does a pretty good job of kind of laying out there a lot of the different ways that we think about love, you know? When, when you hear the word love, what's the first thing that you think of? All kinds of ideas. Um, probably because we use the word love in so many different ways. Um, but, but Paul's not interested in, in his passage on the fruit of the Spirit. He's, he's not interested in all those different ways. He's, he's interested in, in one way that the word is used. He's, he's not interested in all the different ideas of love because um, he could have picked a different Greek word if he was talking about one of those other ideas of love, one of those other concepts or types of love, but he's talking about an agape love uh, that has nothing to do with uh, romantic love. It has nothing to do with uh, singing princesses. It has nothing to do with your favorite burrito joint. Um, it has everything to do with God's love for man. And, and God's love for man as the example of love. So, so every time in the Bible that, that it speaks of God's love for man, it's this word agape that's used, or one of the other offshoots of the word agape. Um, but, but Paul, you know, he just, he just includes it in this list here. So if we really want to ask the question, what, what is the biblical concept of love? What, what does love look like? We, we need to go somewhere else, because uh, he doesn't really flesh that out here. Um, but there's a good person that we could ask, right? And, and the person that we would want to ask is probably the Apostle John, um, who I would call the Apostle of Love, yes. Um, because John uses the word love more than any other writer in the Bible. Uh, in his gospel, he uses the word love three times more than any other writer. The, the closest one is, is Luke at 13, and John uses it 44 times. And then in this little book called 1 John, right, that in your Bible is probably only a few pages. Love is in there 46 times. If there was somebody that knew something about love uh, and that wanted you to know what this love, this agape, looks like. It was the Apostle John, and, and we're going to jump towards the end of his uh, letter, 1 John, and we're, we're going to ask this question, John, what does love look like, right? Can you tell us what this agape looks like? I mean, for crying out loud, you've mentioned it 90 times in these two books, so what does it look like? And, and it's almost like John gets towards the end of this letter, 1 John, and he's like, you know, I've been, I've been talking about love a lot. I, I think I need to, like, just lay it right out there. What is love? What does it look like? And he does that in the fourth chapter in verse 9, um, right after three very famous words that people like to quote, that God is love, right, in verse 8. Um, we get a picture of that love in verse 9. I should flip to the right book, though. That would be super handy. 1 John chapter 4, verse 9, he says, In this, the love of God was made manifest among us. In other words, we were all wondering what this loving God was like, right? 
we were all trying to wrap our minds around love and, and the fact that we're supposed to love God and that God loves us. And boom, God came in and just dropped it right in front of us. He made it manifest for us. And how did he do this? That he sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. What does agape look like? It looks like God sending his son, something precious to him, so that we might live. And then he goes on in the next verse, uh, in verse 10. Uh, and he writes this, he says, In this is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Okay, and this is love. Not, it's, not, it's not best exemplified by our love for God. It's best exemplified, John says, by God's love for us in that he sent his son, not for himself, but for us. It, it was a giving by one for the other. Uh, in early Greek, meaning before biblical writers, before the New Testament was written, um, this word agape, or the verb form of it, uh, agapao, was used of a generous move by one for the sake of the other. And we see that in God, right? A, a generous move of one by one for the other. Uh, love is movement. Love is motion. And so when you think of love, think more motion than emotion. Okay? Think more motion and movement and action. Think more motion than emotion. Uh, Paul does lay this out for us in a couple of verses in Galatians. And I'll just read these to you real quickly, but it's, it's love in action. It's love in motion. Galatians chapter 5, verse 6, just a little bit before the passage we looked at just now, um, he writes, For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything. In other words, these things that you're arguing about, about keeping the law, those don't count for anything. But the only thing that counts is this, faith working through love. It's a faith that's working through love, action, motion. And then in Galatians 5, 13, he writes, Don't use your freedom as an opportunity to indulge the flesh, but through love serve one another. Through love serve one another. And then finally in Galatians 6, 2, he writes this, Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. What was the law of Christ? What was the one commandment that he said he was giving his followers? To love one another. That just as I have loved you, so you also should love one another. And how do we do that? Paul says, bearing one another's burdens fulfills the law of Christ. Love is more motion than emotion. It's, it's me motion. 
It's you motion. It's we motion. More than it is emotion. Right? Care and concern and compassion are all there, are all part of love, and those have some emotional components to them. But love is something that is lived out. Love is something that involves motion, not simply emotion. I found this great story this week uh, about a father uh, that takes his kids to the, to the petting zoo, and it's a great illustration. I don't know if you're familiar with John chapter 15, 13. Um, Jesus says, look, if, if I could give you the highest picture of what love looks like, it's this. He says, greater love has no one than this, that he lay down his life for his friends. Now, it's a picture of what Jesus was about to do for his followers and for the whole world. But laying down your life for your friends takes many uh, forms as well. And I found this story that I'll share with you. The father's writing here, and he says, One afternoon I took Helen, who was eight years old, and Brandon, my five-year-old, to the Cloverleaf Mall in Hattiesburg to do a little shopping. Uh, as we drove up, we spotted a Peterbilt 18-wheeler parked with a big sign on it that said, Petting Zoo. Uh, and the kids jumped up in a rush and asked, Daddy, Daddy, can we go? Please, please, can we go? Sure, I said, flipping them both a quarter before walking into Sears. Uh, and they bolted away, and I felt free to take my time looking for a scroll saw. Confession, I have no idea what that is, a scroll saw. But it sounds cool. Uh, a petting zoo consists of a portable fence erected in the mall with about six inches of sawdust and a hundred little furry baby animals of all kinds, and the kids pay their money and stay in the enclosure with the squirmy little critters while their moms and dads shop. Well, a few minutes later, I turned around and saw Helen, my daughter, walking behind me. I was shocked to see that she preferred the hardware department to the petting zoo, but recognizing my error, I bent down and asked her what was wrong. She looked up at me with those giant brown eyes and said sadly, Well, Daddy, it cost 50 cents to get in, so I gave Brandon my quarter. Uh, and then she said the most beautiful thing I have ever heard. She repeated our family motto, uh, and the family motto is, Love is action. Love is action. She had given Brandon her quarter, and no one loves cuddly, furry creatures more than she does. Uh, a week before, she had watched my wife take my steak um, and say, love is action. Um, she had watched both of us do and say, love is action, for years around the house and King's Arrow Ranch. And she had heard and seen love is action, and now she had incorporated it into her lifestyle, and it had become part of her. So what do you think I did? Well, not, well, not what you might think. As soon as I finished my errands, I took Helen to the petting zoo. We stood by the fence and watched Brandon go crazy, petting and feeding the animals. Helen stood with her hands and chin resting on the fence and just watched Brandon. I had 50 cents burning a hole in my pocket. I never offered it to Helen, and she never asked for it. Because she knew the whole family motto. It wasn't just love is action. It was love is sacrificial action. Love always pays a price. Love always costs something. Helen gave her quarter to Brandon and wanted to follow through with her lesson. She knew she had to taste the sacrifice. She wanted to experience the total family motto, love is sacrificial action. Uh, love is expensive. 
when you love, benefits accrue to another's account. Love is for you, not for me. Love gives. Uh, it doesn't grab. Love gives. It doesn't grab. Love is for you, not for me. I just felt those words were just simple reminders of what love really looks like. Right? That, that Paul says the fruit of the Spirit is love. Right? And so this fruit that should be growing up in my life, the fruit that I should be nurturing and cultivating, is a love that's for you, not for me. A love that gives, not grabs. And we see a great picture of that in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verses 4 through 7. Uh, and hopefully that'll come up on the screen. Do we have that? Yeah. Save me a page flip. Yeah, this love that's for you, not for me, this love that gives, never grabs. Love is patient and kind. It doesn't envy or boast. It's not arrogant or rude. It doesn't insist on its own way, is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, and endures all things. A great picture of the love that's for you, not for me. The love that gives and never grabs. So you might be sitting here this morning thinking to yourself, you know, my life is really characterized more by that first list that you read um, than the second list. Uh, it's really characterized more by my flesh and me just pursuing whatever comes naturally, emotionally, or physically, or spiritually. I'm just like trying to make things work for me all the time, and I'm seeing the strife and the jealousy and, and the temper and all those things that Paul's talking about. And maybe you've just never really sought the Lord and, and sought out those deep implications for your personal life. That, that you were kind of like I was, just going through life and knowing a lot of Bible stories and stuff, but never really thinking to myself that this gospel had such deep implications for who I am and, and how I am. Maybe you've just never invited the Lord in to do that heart overhaul. I, I would invite you to do that this morning. I would encourage you to do that this morning. Uh, you can do that in your seat uh, through prayer. You can do that with prayer partners that we'll have over here. I'll be over there after the service as well. i be happy to pray with you for that, but maybe that's a decision that you need to make today. Maybe walking in your own strength and your own wisdom and your own ideas just needs to come to an end. Uh, and today is that day. Now, maybe you've already made that decision um, 
but somebody shut off the irrigation system to your fruit of the garden, fruit of the spirit garden a while back, and you're just sitting there going, yeah, wow, okay. I haven't really thought much about that um, for a while now. I'm not seeing much fruit. As a matter of fact, every time I walk through that garden, I'm just kicking dry, brittle leaves that have fallen off of all the bushes. Let me give you a suggestion, just a practical suggestion. Okay, we're going to be nine weeks in the fruit of the Spirit. What if today you made a stack of nine somethings, three by five cards cut in half, strips of paper, whatever, and on each of those pieces of paper you wrote one of the fruits of the Spirit? And a couple times a week you're going over those fruits of the Spirit and praying, just inviting the Lord to do those things in your life through His Spirit. And as we go through each week, you write something on the back of each one of those fruits of the Spirit. So, so today you would write, it, it's more motion than emotion, right? And you might write, this love is for you, not for me. It's a love that gives and never grabs. And then over the course of nine weeks, you'll have spent nine weeks praying and asking the Holy Spirit to move in your life in those areas. Nine weeks, spending a couple of days each week contemplating, praying, meditating on how you can see those fruits come up in your life. And at the end of night and weeks, uh, you will reap a harvest of the fruit of the Spirit in your life and in your relationships. Um, and then if you're more of an E person than a manual person, you know, like nine cards, are you kidding me? That's so 20th century. Um, then maybe you'd be willing to take this graphic that we have of 1 Corinthians chapter 13 um, and, and the explanation, the picture of love that we get there. And, and we'll post this on our Facebook page and Instagram and Twitter and all that stuff. Maybe you just download that and that's your screensaver on your phone, right? Your lock screen. And so every time you turn on your phone, there it is. And you can be remembered. Um, the top part is what love is and does. And the bottom part is what love isn't and doesn't, right? But, but another way for you to be reminded, a way for you to seek this fruit of the Spirit being cultivated in your life this week. Would you pray with me? Father, thank you for your grace. Thank you for your truth. Thank you for your gentleness your kindness, the way you always approach us in love on these things. Because you are for us. You didn't send your son into the world to condemn the world, but that it might be saved. And you didn't give us your spirit to condemn us from within, uh, but to speak truth and hope and life from within. And so Lord, we seek your power this week. We invite you, we ask you, spring up love in our hearts. We want to have a bountiful harvest of the fruit of your Spirit in our lives and in our relationships. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, I told you that Aaron was having a little thing with his voice this week, so I told him to take the last song off this week, and I didn't have time to prepare one myself, um, so it's kind of last minute, but 
you know, put some suggestions in the box outside maybe. I'll do a solo for you guys one of these weeks. Um, no, that, <laughs> that would not be love for you. No, it wouldn't. It wouldn't at all. It wouldn't be seeking your good in any way, shape, or form. Um, encourage you. Thank you guys for being here this week. Um, as always, we have our prayer table over here, as I mentioned earlier. A couple options. You can write down prayer requests and leave them there, and we will pray over those this week, our staff and then our prayer partners as well. They can be anonymous. They can have your name, however you want to do it, but we will um, be faithful to pray for those requests. Um, don't forget, if you were going to stop by guest services and turn in that um, information card for your free gift, encourage you to do that. Uh, and this week, I just really encourage you to, to think about love, to think about those simple concepts of what it is uh, and what it isn't, and that you would just ask the Lord to do that work in your life this week. Love you guys. Have a great week.